I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. This never happened to the other fellow. For your eyes only, darling. Whoever she was must have scared the living daylights out of her. What of you? Hello and welcome back to For Your Ears Only. This is Optimism Vaccine's preeminent James Bond podcast. It's the show where my co-host Jack Eason and I take a look at every Bond film, plus some extra films up to the release of No Time to Die, which at the time of this recording and also at the time of this release will be a few weeks away. Speaking of, Jack Eason, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. Looking forward. We're nearly there. We're going to see this this new new movie, I'm going to have to try and probably take the, the Bond kill count in a cinema. I'm not sure I'm going to even do that. I'm going to have it's a true. tally pad or something. Yeah, you're going to be like a, a nerd with either your notebook or your giant light-up iPad That or is some true. Shit. I'm going to, for the first time in my life, I'm going to be like some kind of nerd. <laughs> well, we've uh, we finished the Bond series improper, and uh, we spent the last several months checking out some uh, one-off adventures that are not Bond films, so to speak, but they are... Bond adjacent, whether they're influenced by Bond or pay homage or whatever the treatment may be. And uh, for this episode, which is likely to be our last episode of the series before No Time to Die comes out, we have a, a bit of a crossover. And with that, we have a super stacked pack of guests joining us this episode. Uh, up first, uh, you know him best from uh, Moonraker, The Living Daylights. And, uh, oh, God, uh, Danger Diabolic. It's uh, Steve Cuff, everyone. Oh, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I have been prepping for this episode all day. I, uh, I read Corey Hames' Wikipedia page. I drank an entire bottle of Costco red wine, and I'm ready to fucking party. Wow. Wow. You heard it here, folks. He's ready to party. And uh, also joining us, uh, we have uh, another one of our favorite guests. He was on uh, Live and Let Die. He did the other Dalton, License to Kill. Uh, it's Adam Myros. Adam, how you doing? Oh, I'm I'm doing better now that I've really watched this film. You know, I I had a hole in my life, a Stephen and Stuart Paul-sized hole, and then we filled it. <laughs> this this is your fault, isn't it? Like, the this is yeah, so for this movie. If you're... If you're a regular listener of all of our shows, uh, you'll know that the last month or so, we went on a tear through the works of one Stuart and Stephen Paul, and uh, this is like the final puzzle piece uh, to that brotherly connection, Uh, or so we hope. Uh, This is is like the most pervasive shit in the history of the podcast, so it's gone through like the main Optimism Vaccine pod, it's crossed over into four-year ears only, and it's even made it into a Patreon-only special episode. And constant well, content. Well, a constant content. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, constant, con- constant caustic con- content, too. Caustic content is where all of this started. And the show where you guys torture each other has now bled into all of our other programs for <laughs> extended right. suffering. Yep. So, yep, so thank yep. you. Thank that we have you guys to thank. For anyone who tunes in for other programs, you will know we did a whole episode on the the work of Stephen Paul, and I believe at the end of that, I found I would never watch anything else associated with him after we unanimously agreed he was the worst filmmaker any of us had encountered. And lo and behold, <laughs> we have this episode coming, which I believe Steve breaks your streak of showing up on movies that are generally pretty good. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. here for this one, so well done. End on Thought. end on a high note. It's all your fault, Steve. Well, you know, it's all your. Fault. I suggested this because I know Jake is a huge fan of uh, Stephen Paul's uh, prior foray into James Bond land, uh, Never Too Young mm-hmm. to Die. So I figured, you know, well, this is probably uh, in the same vein. Uh, uh, let's give it a shot. Yeah. Well, I uh, introduced that film to Steve. We did a uh, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet back in the day, and uh, I believe Steve was a fan. But uh, unfortunately, all of the elements that I love about no, or Never Too Young to Die uh, are virtually non-existent in The Double O Kid, yeah. uh, 1993 direct-to-video family feature, not uh, not directed by either of the Pauls, but it was sure as shit written by both of them. <laughs> so wait, that's one more, that's even another series of the podcast that the Pauls have fucking pervaded. Yeah. 
it's no, just, it's uh, not. We don't need to do that, Adam. Stop, <laughs> son of a bitch. Just films they've this, written. <laughs> it just like No Time to Die is ending Daniel Craig's uh, Bond career. This is where we end the Paul uh, Nassance. All right, this this is this is the final episode we do Dude, on them. We've I'm created ripples, man. Like uh, Stewart and Stephen Paul have have invaded film Twitter. I think uh, did didn't extended clip just do Baby Geniuses. Or baby geniuses so. too. Could be. That's, uh, that's that is. I did see that in the feed. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is not how we want to be remembered, Steve. I, that's, I hope. that's right. Yeah. Sorry, we're we're like defining trends, and everybody else is just trend chasing. You know, that's that's what we do. Well, it's like after we got Criterion to release all those Choi Hawk films. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait for their first Stephen Paul release. It'll get there, man. The 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 Legend of Simon Conjurer will see its its fucking place in the sun. It'll it'll get there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, we have a whole film to get through. Uh, let l- let me ask, uh, Jack. Uh, well, we we've had some good times. We had some bad times. What were your initial thoughts on the Double O Kid? So the, I I don't think this is uh, like uh, being honest about it, this is not the worst film we've watched. I think still uh, Operation Kid Brother really uh, is worse. I do I do believe that. Yes, this is. This is shorter and it's more confusing, which is something. Um, the the main issue I have with this movie, which I think we'll 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 discuss in more depth as we proceed, is that I don't understand what this movie is. Uh, it's rated PG thirteen apparently, but it's clearly a kids movie. It's it's clearly designed for like six year olds. But then it has Corey Haim and Nicole Eggert as like a cute central teenage kind of young adult couple uh with some swearing it's it's got the trappings of a pg-13 movie and then the internal yeah. logic of a kid's movie it's a very unpleasant film it doesn't really make sense it's clearly very cheaply made as obvious from the title it's basically a kind of a james bond knockoff but it's it's sort of it's strange because this i i checked into this and this came out uh in 1992 um, hmm. just a year prior, I think it was 1991, uh, we had the sort of release of James Bond Jr., the animated TV show, which I remember fondly from my own youth. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we also had um, If Looks Could Kill, which is a film I saw. It was released in, in uh, Europe as Teen Agent, which frankly makes a lot more sense for what the film is, because it is basically a teenager being mistaken for a secret agent and having to do a bunch of James Bond type stuff. So these movies came out like a year or so prior to this film and kind of set that trend. And then I think the Pauls, like, I I have no reason to disbelieve that the Pauls didn't just chase the success of those with like young James Bond. But they did it in their inimitable, confused fashion by creating this film that, so far as I can tell, is for no one. It is designed for children, but unsuitable for children. There's nothing here for older people, for teenagers. This is just tragically unhip and unexciting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that that's the movie. The the only, honestly, the only blue the silver lining in this thing, frankly, is just seeing Wallace Shawn collect a p- paycheck. Yeah. Uh, and Brigitte Nielsen, <laughs> I guess, also fares relatively well here. It's it's a bizarre film, as we'd expect from the Paul brothers. Um, that's yeah. the kindest I could say about it. I, f- I feel like the Paul brothers are the like original Netflix algorithm. They just put out like absolute fucking paste, but they know how to tap into the right resources to, tr- to try and like drum up interest in whatever they're doing. So yeah, it's just like, Hey, what if I told you there was like a kid's movie starring Corey Haim and also the villains are Wallace Shawn and Brigitte Nielsen. You'd be like, okay, I'm interested. But then what you actually get is, absolute fucking trash yeah the, the confusion with them is they see like what Stephen paul seems to be able to do is to get the money to make things but the things then ultimately don't appear to make any money and i don't understand yeah. how this chain continues and has continued for 50 years uh, I don't understand. mafia mafia involvement i'm guessing right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah probably, that's, our best probably. Theory. that's our best game. uh so yeah yeah you would also have i i guess they just like parked outside the fucking like last crusade filming or something and we're like oh we can just <laughs> shovel over john reese davies and karen black for five minutes each that'll work yeah, yeah. they're on set one in there 
They, exactly, yeah, they, yeah, their roles are classic on the set for one day type of affairs. Like they very clearly, they both show up within like the first 10 or 15 minutes and are there for one scene and then disappear. But they're placed very highly in the opening credits to entice you into believing you are watching a film that might do something. Mm -hmm. I yeah. also think it's important to note that, you know, if Corey Haim between the years like 1987 and 1989 is a cool glass of milk, this is room temperature cottage cheese. <laughs> it's... He, he is not in his prime here. Um, I, I, I asked my wife, she's a little bit older than I am, so she was more tapped into the, you know, the, the power of the Corys. And I was like, when did this shit peak? Like, what, what was your ultimate Corey moment? And, and everybody agrees, like, License to Drive, which I think was 87. Right. Uh, yeah. And then that's, like, back-to-back -back with Lost Boys. That's, like, pure, undistilled, uncut, that good Corey shooting into your vein. This is, this is, you know, it's, it's only a few years later, but it's real rough. I think this is the first direct-to-video uh, Corey Haim film. And it just, just by the way that it, it, it unfolds, you would think that he'd been doing DTV trash for a long time. Well, I was going to say, one's is, there, rough. is there, was there a pandemic in 1991 we were unaware of? Because <laughs> it seems like he's, he's rocking the COVID cut pretty hard there. He, he is rocking a COVID cut. Oh I do God. like this, though, because he is technically playing a 17-year-old boy, even though he is clearly in his 20s. Uh, he looks like Justin Bieber to me. He's got a real Biebery vibe going, so <laughs> I, I respect that. And, uh, you know, just, just like Adam Myros loves the... Uh, what, what's, what's that movie? The, uh, the, the Evan Hansen, or, or what, what is it? The, Dear, the, Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen, yeah. 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 Dear Evan Hansen. I love you know? it so much I've I love never a 27-year-old playing a, a high school student. <laughs> it's, it's, oh. it's really great here, because Corey is... He's clearly, like, well into his years. He's got, like, I've been doing coke since I was 18 look going. It's, it's, it's really rough. It's it's That's... almost like disconcerting and difficult to watch just because he does not look like a child in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, I, the, yeah. the whole film has the energy of, uh, you know, Corey Haim probably difficult to work with at this point. Like, he's, he's already oh, yeah. deep, deep into the drug habit that would unfortunately... What is he doing at this point? He's doing <laughs> drugs, he's doing this movie, and he's doing, like, Sega CD games. <laughs> That's his career. <laughs> And this thing I, opens like one of those. It opens with a CG chess match in like oh, sparkling 1992 computer boy, graphics. Boy, does it ever. Well, okay, let's let's get into it. First, we have this, this opening sequence. Uh, Brigitte Nielsen and some other guy are dressed as janitors, and they've infiltrated what looked to be like a school where they get a document that is literally labeled top secret from a vault it's like faa uh, flight codes but you you were correct yeah. this looks like a high school like it, it looks like an empty it. high school they shot it in uh security is alerted to their presence and i thought oh this just looks like some lame cheaply made kids film but then the guy that brigitte nielsen is with not only does he shoot down two security guards but he goes up to them and he puts a few more bullets in each of their bodies <laughs> To make sure that they're dead. The tone of this film is fucking bizarre. We're, we're because... back in it, like, from Beijing with love element of, like, why is it so violent? But this time yeah. it's not funny. <laughs> but, you know, but yeah, but that's actually a good movie. This is, this is, like, oh, if I was a kid, I think I'd be traumatized by, like, all the... You could not make this movie post-Columbine. It is just awful how much like and there's not just gun violence but like a lot of bloody wounds too there's so much blood in what's ostensibly a kids film it's insane steve cuff explain yourself <laughs> <laughs> no that's actually one of my favorite things about this is you know it, it, it would have been easy to just pedal this to the the dtv like blockbuster video crowd like oh here look Corey aim remember him you're you're horny for Corey Haim, and here he is in a child's fucking, you know, James Bond knockoff. But no, we have to include ultra violence and like weird bouts of completely unnecessary swearing, wherein this suddenly becomes PG thirteen and is wholly unapproachable for for children. This is a movie for absolutely no one. 
This is a movie for Stuart and Stephen Paul alone. You wonder, like, this movie feels so much like it was meant to star a much younger lead. Like, a preteen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like a kid living out this spy fantasy thing, which... It, it's like they got Corey Haim and just like clumsily pivoted to like trying to make it work, but didn't really thoroughly rewrite things. But then just, I, I guess, tried to add a little violence to appeal to a demographic that might have any interest in Haim at this point. Yeah, it's, it's funny because Corey Haim's character in this movie has a younger brother and that would have made more sense to follow him for this. Like he's a younger brother that he like, you know, is, is like, they argue and they fight and they tussle. And Karen Black is her mother for precisely two scenes, I think. Yeah. One, really. But, you know, she's just the kind of set-upon mom who's on an exercise bike. And then she chases Corey in the car when he steals his younger brother's bike because his younger brother lets the air out of the tires of his motorcycle. Um, And that's it. That's his entire family background. He seems to, like his secret agent fantasies are... It's totally, like, they're, they're half-written. It's really, he just kind of, like, seems to just keep a running commentary of, like, I'm doing this, because, like, he just sees a random person, like, they're, like, a West German agent, and I've got to do this, or whatever. He just seems vaguely sad and dumb. Yeah. Uh, which which means that it doesn't make any sense when he, like, he's, quote-unquote, good at it. Well, it's got uh, that there's warped, no... <laughs> it's got the warped Paul sense of reality, too. Like, what is going on with Corey Haim's character? Well, a obviously they had they had the ability to shoot at a school. Why, why did we place him there at some point? Give him a little context, but instead we open with him apparently living in like his own house next door to his mother and brother. Yeah, he's got like the granny flat over the over the garage, uh, like as his yeah. own like bachelor pad for this child. Very very normal. It's stuff. his mother in law suite. <laughs> yeah. Uh and what is his job? Like, what is he? What is he doing? He's He's like an intern at that's the that's the weird at thing where? too is that he seems to almost have it's not explained. <laughs> Wikipedia just calls it the agency, <laughs> but he has this his foot in the door. It so it seems at this like covert government agency that he works at, but all of his tasks are just getting coffee or going across town to pick up something. So yeah, it's, he has, it's like the CIA has an office in the valley. Yeah, but they and, don't yeah. seem to want to be involved <laughs> in like this espionage. They seem to be doing like menial government work because like the whole thing that kicks this off is meant to involve the FBI, but they're just like accidentally involved in it. So I'm like, is this some sort of espionage agency or is it just something else entirely? It's never made clear at all. Yeah. yeah. Also, he's given a lot of responsibility, and by all accounts, he seems to be a really shitty employee. Yes. Like everyone who talks oh, about God. him is just like, this guy's a real fuck up loose cannon, but but boy, we like him. <laughs> yeah. He's he's late. He's late to work. He's there seems to be no dress code because I'm not sure that crop of uh, feather duster bleach hair would fly in a professional setting. He just stands out like a sore thumb. Uh, his bosses seem to hate him. He's really, he's just a total piece of shit yeah. <laughs> with like no aspirations. Well, his boss, his boss doesn't hate him. That's the weird, like his boss seems to like weirdly be like, you know, cajoling him along as like, you know, he, you know, helping him along as if like he has some idea that he'll be great at this later on with no indication why he would ever believe that. Yeah, it's, it's a very perplexing thing. I don't even remember why he gets sent. Like he just gets sent on a, on a standalone mission it's not really a mission it's like just drop something yeah, off. like i forgot to mail a letter yeah yeah but it's it's presented Corey Haim, you know but trumps it up to a mission in his own mind and sure enough it turns out to be one because uh brigitte nielsen and the guy i didn't catch his name either i don't know who he is then show up to to um to shake this guy down for some kind of access card that he has, which is another strange part of it. It, it like it almost feels like it's a commentary on like, uh, you know, all these like random government contractors or something that you know just like like this guy isn't meant to have access to something, but he does because of an accident or something. But they don't really dwell on it. He's just got a security card that that they want for reasons that I'm frankly still not clear of. I don't well, really know. Jack, they need the, the security card, card to. Uh, yeah, write a computer virus to infect a plane full of environmental they... activists in well, I got the that Bermuda part. How Triangle. does the card? How does the card fit into the the virus? I, I, I they get the know. FAA codes. That, I how mean, does the thumbprint that makes sense. It's a plane. 
it's very flimsy and like <laughs> oh you know like computers are starting to boom and let's just do, do a, a thing with this where we have an access card and and yeah we'll upload that and it, it can we can somehow manually override a computer's functions from in terms from in terms of computers using a this satellite has, this this film has very strong like ncis computer <laughs> politics yeah. like this is this feels very much like it was written by two guys maybe brothers who know have never touched a computer in their lives nor talked to anyone who has worked in the industry yeah but listen and, listen yeah. they saw the lawnmower man and that's what matters <laughs> was the lawnmower oh. even man well, when did that come out yeah, i think that, that came was out later like, later i think no Dude, the, the lawnmower man this saw pre, this. This, <laughs> this was the original lawnmower man. <laughs> 1992, same year. Uh, oh, wow. So, yeah. I will tell you, the lawnmower man is much better uh, CG than this movie. Uh, yeah, got... The, the, we kind of glossed over, but yeah, the opening titles, which are which come back later in the film, are just like this bizarre chess match that I guess kind of tells the whole story of how the movie plays out, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of, uh, I, yeah, I, it, yeah. I mean, and it, to give just... credit to it, like the the CG is credited to one guy. So like, yeah. we're, this this is like the back of the days where it's like there was one guy with a computer who was able to put this together, and it was about as good as it could be. You know, this is before right. you could hire a warehouse full of uh, contractors and then fire them all. Uh, you know, <laughs> the good, you know, real cinema. Um, yeah, yeah. This this is a, a zany uh, kind of a cash in. I suppose where where do we fit into this? Because I mean, okay, so he's he's on the mission. He has he he ends up inadvertently. Corey Haim, our hero, gets gets tied up in this mission. We are separately introduced to our villain Wallace Shawn, who is entertaining yes. one of the other uh, major actors in this film, John Rhys Davies, who shows up for one scene in what I I think we'll all agree is maybe frankly the most baffling element of this who who wants to go through John Reese Davies death oh, this is the and try best. and explain that to anyone <laughs> this is the best scene in the movie by the way it may be the only good scene <laughs> in the movie i i was kind of devastated that John Reese Davies exited as early as he did cuz i was cuz you know he's like fourth or fifth build and i thought oh you know at least at least there's a couple people in this that'll keep my interest but yeah the scene not only is it terrible that they kill him off so early but the way they do it is just so completely inexplicable uh, who I, I I don't know if I can explain uh, here, this. Let me I can take say crack, what happens, cause, but cause I don't want you guys okay, to overlook go this uh, this key element. Please go ahead. Where they roll onto Wallace Shawn's palatial estate, and for some yeah. reason Brigitte Nielsen is sitting in a hot tub. What appears to be like a cocktail dress. Like that's oh, Adam. Remember beforehand we were talking about something that was inexplicable to me. I like, couldn't remember what it was. That's it. She is sitting in a hot tub in a dress. Which Why? listen. Listen, initially, I thought this was because, like, okay, this is a kids' movie, and they decided that sexy Brigitte Nielsen was too much for the for the children to handle. But then so the movie they made goes her on to like, wet. yeah, but the the movie goes on to like murder people and swear a bunch and gets a PG thirteen rating anyways. So yeah. why is she sitting in a cocktail dress in the hot tub? I have and, no idea. And and who knows? But I love Brigitte Nielsen. Uh, she's amazing in this. <laughs> she's amazing in uh cobra yeah uh course. she's amazing in in uh strange rocky love four. with brigitte and flavor Ro flav oh, rocky sure. four yeah <laughs> so so i will i will say i think brigitte nielsen comes out better from this movie than almost anyone except maybe wallace sean uh just yeah. for pure because wallace sean getting a paycheck i think we can all agree is a nice thing to happen so yeah. good Fair, yeah. fair enough. Uh, well, anyhow, they, they meet, uh, and they seem to have had some previous falling out. Uh, John Reese davies has seemingly done Wallace Shawn wrong at some point, but still he brings him a business proposition wherein he wishes for Wallace Shawn to, uh, as we previously stated, uh, explode a plane in the Bermuda Triangle filled with environmental activists to... Uh, <laughs> that's right to make money for it's some oil stuff. conglomerates or something i'm not entirely sure but you know it, it, it is one of yeah. these plots but then they, they agree on this they're going to split the money uh it, it seems as if john reese davies intends to, to bilk him out of uh some some cut but that's all right uh wallace sean is amiable he takes him down to his high-tech arcade Wherein he has a, a sports car with a TV screen, uh, sort of where the rearview mirror would be. 
Yeah. A real car, yes. we should yeah. mention. Yeah. Real, real. car. This is no, th- this arcade does not feature a single arcade game. It just, uh, it, it's just like a room with a car in it, a rich guy room. I'm sure it's probably belongs to one of the Pauls, but uh, yeah, he sits him in the car, says strap in, and uh, suddenly John Reese davies is, is looking at this uh, shitty TV uh, and playing <laughs> along, zipping down the, the actual video footage of a road, and somehow this results in his death uh when 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 the car <laughs> careens out of control because it has it has no brakes again it's not moving it's stationary in this faux arcade but it has quote unquote no brakes uh and on the tv screen he's smashing into things and, and this results in his uh, untimely demise when the car rolls over or something it, it, it's just it's a complete <laughs> nonsense mystery but you know at this point i was like oh maybe we're on to something because this this is certainly compelling i i I was engaged by whatever the fuck was happening in this scene uh i i i can't for the life of me explain it yeah it's it's so just to kind of paint a better uh, or not a better but like just another picture for it's like when you go to an arcade and there's like one of those oh ride a motorcycle games you just get on the the thing that's just strapped in and you're looking at a screen and controlling it with your weight that's what this is but in the video that john reese davis is watching his car rams into a pole and then we cut back to the reality and the car that he's just sitting in not moving is suddenly damaged as if it hit a pole yes and then he goes under yeah. like a low overhang it cuts off the the windshield mm-hmm. and then yeah he just he it like just crashes and rolls in place I, I I don't know what the fuck we, was happening. We never see the the vehicle move like on like in the cutting. It's all like all the damage and the change of the car is done through cuts. Like yeah. they cut back to the car. So like when the car ultimately rolls over and he's dead, we don't see the car move at any point. So it's no mysterious as to how any of this is happening. It's kind of well, a sequence that parses for a very young child's imagination, maybe, but it feels completely at odds with what we've been presented with thus far obviously as we've discussed it's just a very peculiar kind of sequence where where the the, the gap in imagination seems careless rather than whimsical effectively this is this is pure stuart paul cinema okay yeah there's stephen yeah. paul cinema and there's stuart paul cinema and one of the biggest differences is stuart paul is obsessed with pressing us with the question of is is this the future <laughs> and we don't know, but he is obsessed with like weird virtual reality shit. And so that, that is entirely why at least a third of this film's budget went to a CG chess game and this weird car sequence that we got to watch play out. Uh, that might be ambitious. How much could they have possibly spent on the CG shit? Uh, well, how much could they have possibly spent on the rest of this movie? I don't know. These <laughs> actors probably demanded something. There's a lot yeah, of names. So, so here, here's the breakdown of the cost. One-third goes to the actor. One-third goes to their CG bullshit. And the rest goes to everything else. But also, most of that is tied up in the song, which sounds like just just the worst... <laughs> like musician for hire version of a James Bond theme I've ever heard. Fucking horrible. I had the worst God. experience with that song because it played for a while. You talk about that song about like living on the West side or whatever is the, the <laughs> there's, Oh, oh you mean, you mean the, they have like a bond esque theme song, but then later oh, yeah. in the movie, they have like this butt rock eighties rock song, which is so <laughs> generic that then it, like it's in one scene and then there's some more of the movie and then it kicks up again. And when it picked up again, like literally my poor brain was like do i know this song this song sounds really familiar and then the guy started singing i was like oh wait it's the exact same song that was playing a couple of minutes ago but my brain had already like shot what i remembered of it out uh tremendous music in this film certainly really really remarkable stuff yes and it's got that good x-file synth voice It, it just sounds fucking horrible it it is yeah it's awful in the worst 90s way imaginable uh but yeah, no, the, this movie, it sucks. I don't know. I, there's no mechanism to explain anything, but that's all right, I guess. I think my breakdown would be more along the lines of like 50% to the actors, uh, 10% to the CGI, uh, and uh, 40% to the mafia. 
You think the mafia would have been happy with just forty percent? I don't know. Uh, I mean, they they had to have taken a pretty sizable cut. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're onto something there. But uh, yeah, good lord. Um, should, should we get back to the plot? Yeah, of yeah, this we, movie, should, we should move on. We get. Well, I don't know what happens next. But I mean, you know. I think we just cut straight to the the pickup uh, where this guy is being shooken down by Brigitte Nielsen and her goon who are dressed as a nun and a priest, respectively. And uh, they want this uh, access card. And uh, Corey Haim shows up to deliver a letter. And as a token of his appreciation, the guy gives him five bucks, but he slips the access card to him in the money. Uh, And then Corey Haim discovers this when he returns to the office. He sees the guy get shot. Then Corey Haim goes on the run, and the two uh, assassins start pursuing him because now they have, or he has what they want. Um... This is kind of around the time where he runs into uh, Nicole Eggert, right? And then uh, she get, gets caught up into it. And then there's this randomly extended and useless uh, chase with yeah, this, uh, ro- rollerbladers. This scene pisses me off. Okay, so Nicole Eggert is, is introduced to, uh, I guess a lot of Americans might know her from Charles in Charge. I've never seen that show. I don't know. It's got Scott Bio, so it's clearly not going to be great. Uh, uh, I know Scott from Bayo, thank Bayo, you very much. Bayo, doesn't matter, down in the Bayo. <laughs> it's... Uh, but but uh, yeah, I I know her from from Baywatch, a classy good program that I watched as an impressionable youth. Uh, yeah. But anyhow, uh, this is earlier than this apparently. Um, she shows up as a waitress in like a Sonic or whatever, some kind of like you know a roller skate outdoor diner thing. Um, but apparently it turns out she wears roller skates all the time. That's just who she is. It's like a character <laughs> trait because she then shows up late after her introduction. I have serious problems with this scene. Oh, Presu- with, with okay, which so- one <laughs> <laughs> the whole roller skate thing okay so right. my biggest issue is she's she's pushing a cart full of groceries while on roller skates I forgot right. about that and never changes her shoes so in my head she roller skated into a grocery store in downtown los angeles <laughs> and then fucking skated her ass out and Steve, was gonna you, you skate the that, whole cart like- home if I'd seen this at the age where I would have at least been, like, semi-okay for me to see this, like, when it yeah. first came out, like, I would have just thought, that's America. This must be what Americans do. This they, is what they we roller do skate every day. Everywhere in sunny California, whatever, you know, that's what they do. Jake, do, are, do you have roller skates on right now? Uh, I mean, I, I took them off so they wouldn't make any noise during the record, that's but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go to the 7-Eleven after and pick up some snacks. That's it, you see? <laughs> With this, this, my, this must be what they do on the West Coast, where they live free. Um, yeah. yeah, what pisses me off about this scene is she has a whole cart full of groceries, and fucking Corey Haim, just being a jerk, basically ropes her into this chase and trashes all her groceries. And she's, like, working as a waitress at, like, a fast food place. That cart is full. There's, like, $100-plus worth of groceries. It's probably two weeks' worth. And she has to throw it all away because this idiot gets chased... And I, fr- I don't remember, where do all, she's getting chased in a car park by a bunch of people on roller skates, like street hockey guys. I don't know where they came from. These are two separate chases. Well, they join in because he, he he's chased by them and then he comes out and he joins up with Nicole Egger and uses, like he sp- he's twists his ankle, apparently. Yeah. He and so he hops d- in the jumps. car and says, you gotta help me, you gotta take me away because I twist my ankle. And then after he crashes her trolley full of fucking groceries paid with from her hard-earned cash, he sprints away like a goddamn gazelle because okay. his ankle's <laughs> fine. So here's where these and guys just, came yeah. from. You guys you guys have skipped some very important stuff. Like uh, I find this, that hard to believe, Adam. This hotel sequence where we get uh, a Stephen Paul cameo as a broom service uh, fellow uh but yeah that (laughs) results in uh, the the hitmen coming after uh at this hotel um and he this ends up with him stealing their limousine which they are inexplicably uh tooling around in uh and even though he's being chased by hitmen and he's figured out why he has this piece of data (laughs) he decides he's just gonna have a joy ride through la and then have a nap in the back of the limousine and that is, that is what our, our street hockey players are uh, alerted to his presence because, you know, computers or something. And uh, they surround the limousine, and that's what this all kicks off. Right, okay, because I remember him doing the joyride because there's two 
two girls who are just like literally just two regular girls walking at the street and he's like they're trying to establish that he's like waving at them like he's king shit because he's driving a stretch limo which would surely just identify him as a limo yes, driver correct. which is not glamorous in the slightest <laughs> no. but they seem super impressed by this uh, and also is was one of them bonnie paul because bonnie paul is credited on imdb in this movie as pretty, pretty girl, girl. Yeah, pretty girl so it, i was one mm-hmm. is she one of them possibly so hard to say um, but you you were correct, yes, he decides having been chased by bloodthirsty assassins, the best thing would be to take on the, the guise of the working man and try and wave at ladies on the strip somewhere. I think the nap is the more egregious thing, wouldn't you, uh, uh, eventually, <laughs> after your joyride, take the limousine to, you know, LAX and fucking head home? I'm, you could, <laughs> but I mean, that's not a secret agent. James Bond doesn't just take a plane home. That's not what he does. I guess maybe if they had uh, had him express express any interest <laughs> in, like, verbally say, I'm going to stay here and solve this crime. Okay, then I could get on board with what he's doing. Instead, this is never <laughs> stated. He just seems like an aloof imbecile. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's important. He does seem like he's an imbecile. That's like and, a consistent element in the film. And yet, when he's tracked down in the hotel room, he fights off two guys with guns with a pillow. That is the worst scene. Jesus Christ, fight choreography. Like, this is the worst fight choreography I've ever seen. The guy pulls a knife out, and he hits the knife with a pillow, disabling him for a while. Yeah. uh, Steve, what are are your thoughts on uh, the action of uh, the double O kid? I would say it's probably not the best choreographed action scenes that I've ever seen. <laughs> You're correct. It's, you know, it's it's funny because just a year or so on from this, Corey Haim would work with the great uh, stuntman Spiro Retzados in like his only film as director, which is what, Fast Getaway, with Cynthia Rothrock, which sadly also isn't actually a good movie. I was very disappointed to learn somewhat recently when I watched the movie because it seems like it should kick ass, but unfortunately it still has Corey Haim in it. So, Listen. um... Yeah. This, this this is what I have to say about the action of the double O kid. There is a scene wherein Corey Haim steals a stretch limousine, and while a butt rock song plays, he cruises up and down Hollywood Boulevard. And while he's doing that, he passes a theater that is playing Batman Forever. That's right. No, it's Batman and Returns, the, Steve. Return. Oh, Batman Returns. Okay. And and the camera is kind enough. To, to just really zero in on Batman Returns. And what you need to know about the action in this film is the action in Batman Returns is 10,000 times the quality <laughs> of what you're going to see here. It is real fucking bad. Just, just think, about, think about Corey Haim looking like Justin Bieber and smacking a man with a pillow to disarm him while he's holding a switchblade. And, and that's what we're dealing with. Okay? It's like such, it's such a great idea. It's like, you know, a, a knife is sharp and dangerous, but if you put a pillow over the edge of it, then how could anyone possibly be injured by a knife? Or how about this? A gun can be used from a distance and can penetrate a pillow. What? I, I don't know about is that true could you do I've not seen that before I remember when often when guns and pillows are used in movies normally they have to press the gun right up against the pillow that's like a thing and over right over the person's face the gun is actually only efficient from like uh, you know right up on the person so I don't know about this whole shooting people from across a room thing I don't know We'll have to look into it. Well, okay, um, further research pending on this. I feel like James Bond might have shot some people from a distance, thinking back over some of the movies we watched. Maybe that happened. Totally did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, going back to the end of the rollerblade chase, um, I, which I think just concludes with uh, Corey Haim hiding in a trash alley with uh, Nicole Eggert. He gets a squirt gun, fills it with gasoline, then he runs out into the street where the rollerbladers are, and then he ignites a lighter in front of the squirt gun as he's shooting it. It appears to only have a range of about two feet in front of his face, yet the rollerblading guys freak out and run away, and that's the end of the chase. Did I, is there anything else to Dude, add to action, that? Or is that? The action it? of this whole sequence is terrible, because it, it opens in a parking lot, and there's this poor woman in her car, and Corey Haim jumps on the front of it, and the, the rollerblader guys giving chase, like, smash the car with hockey sticks. But there's all these, like, close-up inserts of, like, windows getting smashed and hitting the bodywork. 
And then every time it cuts to the woman in the car, the car is fine. And all the, like, further out shot, like, there's no damage on this car whatsoever. And I think, like, that to me was really kind of, like, the key point of realising this movie isn't going to ever get better. Like, they have <laughs> no money or wish to make this thing be anything other than, like, just the cheapest shit possible. So, yeah, I guess that, that was an instructive scene. I, I love that super soaker thing. A, I don't remember where the fuck he even gets a super soaker, but he's got one for some reason. Was she bought It's in the one? grocery cart, yeah. man. Ah. It's like, you know, Nicole Eggert went out to buy a full week's groceries and a super soaker. <laughs> I don't know where he got the gasoline No, no, it, that, is, that, that, is, that is clear, Jack. There is a can of gasoline. I passed out for that In the part. alley, there's a can of gasoline. Which he does not, he does not use, alleys. by the way. There's also a canister sitting next to the can of gasoline uh, that says flammable on it. Uh, I don't know what this is. It looks like some sort of like scuba tank or something. <laughs> I don't know why they wouldn't have just used the can of gasoline they established. But instead we have this flammable canister that he also does not fill the super soaker in a, in a method that makes any logical sense either. Uh, he just sort of like sticks the barrel in and pumps at it, and then uh, it makes a flamethrower, I guess. You know, do it yourself, kids. Yeah, literally, my, my brain just disconnected from my eyeballs for that entire sequence because I have no recollection of that happening. So, cool. Uh, Adam, you just brought up a great point that for a movie aimed at children, this is <laughs> not the kind of behavior that they should be trying at home. And yet Corey Haim is trying to make it look like it's the coolest shit possible. It is it is completely reckless and dangerous of him to do that, so. That so is one of the things that I feel like I should check, like, to see if the BBFC, like, because they, they cut loads of movies in the 90s for, like, Im imitable violence. And I feel like I should check yeah. to see if they did it for this. But then again, I don't know if this ever got released anywhere you know, else. Fortunately, this might not be imitable violence because they fucking execute it so horribly that I don't think it would actually result <laughs> in the ability to set anything on fire other than just via the very presence of gasoline. Yeah. Well, alright, I think we get, We think at this point, I mean, we just kind of jump ahead to the zoo. It feels like just the ne next big set piece. Uh, they have to meet another agent there who was killed beforehand. Is there anything pertinent that I'm skipping with this film? Nothing pertinent, no. I, I think you're doing well. Yeah, I don't know how they're All aware right, well. of the zoo thing, I guess. Because isn't the the zoo is where the uh, the hitmen are meeting uh, some sort of guy they've paid off in order to uh, receive a thumbprint, which is also very necessary for a remote uh, virus application for some reason because we don't understand computers. But uh, yeah. again, I... I'm sure it probably is explained, but this is the real hazy portion of the film where it, it's almost impossible to pay attention. But somehow, uh, Haim uh, and Eggert become aware of this uh, this meetup and also go to the zoo. Uh, yeah. It's it, it's also worth noting at this point that Nicole Eggert is just like just some regular girl working as a waitress, whatever. And this dude just comes out of nowhere with a bunch of people chasing him, trying to kill him. And she manages to fend them off by literally shooting fire at them. And then she's just sort of like, I have nothing else to do. I think I'll just tag along with you. This is exciting, which makes yeah. no sense whatsoever. And her character really, she has, does she have any traits whatsoever? Like, is there, do can we name anything about her character? Other than that, she's a waitress in roller skates at one Damn, point. Damn, you took the roller skating. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> like, she literally... There's, she has no characteristics in this film whatsoever. She's just there because Mark attesting suggested a pretty blonde was a useful addition to the film. Yeah, they already had a pretty um, blonde. Corey Haim. <laughs> yeah. And Brigitte Nielsen is also there, but she's... Different age demographic. So many beauties. Well, pretty oh, might not be the word I'd use for Brigitte Nielsen. A little severe for, for pretty. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. You, if, you're, if you're into women who could probably body slam you, and that's, you know, some people are, why Striking, not? certainly. Pretty, it's got this sort of a, a girlish thing that I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I also, I just bit. want to confirm, I did, I did check, and apparently the Double O Kid was released uncut in uh, the UK, but with a 15s rating, which makes it even more bewildering. I can only imagine a 15-year-old going to watch this fucking movie. I mean, really taken in by John Reese davies flipping in a car on a video <laughs> game. <laughs> Absolutely nonsense. 
Uh, anyhow, we gotta stop digressing because yeah. who the fuck wants to talk about this movie anymore? Well, I mean, that's, that's exactly. There's nothing to say. I mean, we. I, I think uh, Corey Ham's boss doesn't he follow them to the zoo, oh, yes. and yes. Uh, he's he uh, he. I think he has the one line I I smiled at in the film is where he stopped uh, by the goons and he pulls out his a, a badge that he's presented and he says Seamus McGillicuddy Zoo Security <laughs> like that's such a thing ever exists, but just the name Seamus McGillicuddy. Uh, almost made me laugh. So, so good job, Double O Kid. You almost had me for a second, but uh, there's the big guy who gets hit with the pillow earlier on. He's attacked by an animatronic alligator in their enclosure. But he's uh, fine, and uh, he's yeah, he's fine. Late, like he's gets gets it on the leg. Looks like pretty good, but yeah, he's he's fine later on. Um, I think after the zoo, we kind of just go to. Uh, did we mention that Wallace Shawn's name is Mister Cashpot? And then we go to Mr. Cashpot's we, lair. We didn't, for... so good just to clarify that element. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We c- sure. couldn't let that pass up. But uh, yeah, we go to Mr. Cashpot's lair. Corey Haim is strapped into another death by video game chair. Except this time, we actually do see the elements that could hurt him. He's playing a racist Egyptian game called the Doom Tomb, <laughs> and everything he's seeing happen in the game is happening in the chair around him, like daggers are swinging across and there's poison gas that emits into the room this this whole element reminds me a lot of uh, albert Pune's arcade which we've i think touched upon in some of our albert Pune episodes which is a much more entertaining shitty video game movie from around mm-hmm. the same era but yeah it, it's it's really like this has the full feeling of honestly a a live action video game that was kind of starting to become technically feasible in the 90s they were starting to like jam video snippets into like video games and steven you mentioned Corey Haim was in at least one of those so this feels like i just laid the groundwork for it oh yeah um yeah he's he's just like strapped into this game playing he, and he's got like this uh they couldn't even get like a game controller like a snes controller or something he's literally got like a remote control plane controller like just uh like an xy axis kind of like two joystick thing it looks ridiculous uh, terrible scene, completely boring. Don't give a shit about it. Um, I don't even remember what happens to Nicole Eggert's character at this juncture. She's stuck somewhere else because from here on in, they're together. Isn't she's captured by the room? In she's locked up in a separate room by the guy who was chomped on by the alligator. Um, but I think she like just kicks him in the balls or something, just something lame to escape. Really, and... he's a terrible henchman, frankly. <laughs> and he's like the he's the biggest guy in the movie yeah, too. Sure, but he's just. His incompetence is just, is frankly, it's it's. I mean, I guess upsetting. it's kind of reflective how Corey Aim has his job. This guy has his job, like, and both of them seem woefully inappropriate in the, in their roles. So that's interesting. Yeah. She she rescues Haim. They go and they kind of. Uh, Wallace Shawn is demonstrating the power of his satellite to these two. Uh, I think they're potential investors or something. Uh, but then the whole system goes haywire, and we cut to the satellite, and Corey Haim is just kind of tugging at the wire in the ground. <laughs> that to mess that part make... there looks like the most Pauly Shore element of it. They're just like just <laughs> fucking around with the satellite dish, making it spin I mean, really quick. Stephen Pauly Shore, maybe. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> we could dream. They hide around a corner, but the goon who dressed up as the priest earlier, he just kind of finds them and points a gun at them. Doesn't execute them on the spot. I mean, they've caused so much damage, I don't understand why they let them live. Uh, then I think Mr. Cashpot, Brigitte Nielsen take off in a plane. This is where the whole big computer chess finale comes together, where uh, they they start fucking with his system by playing virtual chess and winning. Right, there, there's an explanation here, okay? Because this is where I was like, okay, what's happening, okay? So Corey Haim, who not particularly clarified that he's like a tech head or anything, like he's played some video games, but there's no real suggestion. Like, like frankly, Ferris yeah. Bueller has more advanced tech skills demonstrated in, in his movie than Corey True. Haim has in this movie. But, um... The way it's explained is that to make sure no one can win the games in Cashpot's deadly game arcade dungeon, right, all of the games are hooked into the mainframe, right? A mainframe is a computer thing that Steven and Stuart right. Paul have heard of. So anyway, it's so, so logically what that means is that anyone who actually plays the game can actually just wander straight into the mainframe and just change everything. That makes perfect sense to me. That seems completely logical. And that's what they do. So they decide they're going to play this chess game. But by 
making the chess game happen, they can then force Cashpot to, to be involved in the game and thus make the virus move. That part is less clear. Have I mentioned actually that the, the director of this, this film is actually trans? Uh, I just feel that I'm just going to stick that one in here because it has no bearing on anything. And if you were looking to this film as like, you know, kind of like a trans <laughs> canon that you could like take a lens to it and look at it in that f that fashion, the film will offer nothing to you. Don't bother. Just just putting that out there uh, just in case anyone cares. Uh, Dee mm -hmm. McLaughlin is still making films. I don't know what they're like, but clearly she had no money for this so I don't really hold it against her. I blame the Paul brothers 100% for everything that happens in this movie. Yeah, and yeah, Corey Haim, he wins the the chess and we just kind of see a, a computer graphic of an airplane crash into a trash can, which I guess is, implies that Wallace Shawn and Brigitte Nielsen crash in a hill somewhere else and are horribly there's killed. great scenes of them in the helicopter and they're just flying and like cackling and this, this is why i say like honestly brigitte nielsen and wallace <laughs> sean like come out of this movie better than anyone else because they're like haha we did it we're so evil we're so bad and like they're basically care bear villains essentially yeah and then and they're like just cackling and then suddenly at some point brigitte nielsen who's just, like holding a, a helicopter joystick but clearly not doing it she's just moving it all over the place um just goes like the virus and they're like what and, and then that's it. They just crash, apparently, because the virus just makes planes and helicopters. They're in a helicopter, not a plane. Yeah. But apparently, I guess they function the same way. And the, the helicopter crashes and they've won by having a chess game. Well, yeah. And, and you know it's bad because the, the CGI chess game, you, you see the queen swell up with a virus and, <laughs> and burst. And that's how you know pregnant. the helicopter's going to blow up. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. Do we, is there anything else to say about this movie? I think I've exhausted all my notes, and that's being generous. <laughs> no, there, there's really not much else to say, uh, uh, other than, like, Brigitte Nielsen really didn't do much until she uh, hit the reality TV scene and started dating Flavor Flav, and, and her nickname for him was Foofy Foofy. So I, I was just wondering, like, what you guys think of that. That seems very on brand to me, Frank. I think if you hang out with <laughs> Sylvester Stallone for any time in the 80s, you have to develop some kind of coping mechanism. So she's probably bringing yeah. that along with her and good for her. Do you guys think yeah. it's weird that, that Flavor Flav and Sylvester Stallone have made love to the same woman? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to live in a world where it didn't happen otherwise. You Thank know, you. that's that's incredible. That's I Next week, what are we talking about next week? We've got... When we've got this topic on the table. I will say this, this this movie has made me keen to explore the other 90s work of Nicole Eggert. It looks like a very mm -hmm. strange desert. So I'm, yeah, I, I will say that. I was uh, looking looking at some of the other movies she made in the wake of this movie, several of them with Corey Haim again. They apparently nearly married, but he wasn't ready Ooh. really, and she knew it. And uh, he really wasn't because Corey Haim didn't end up well, which is sad and unfortunate, regardless of the quality of the films he was in. But uh, yeah, no, Nicole Eggert was in several movies in the 90s that frankly looked like someone spun a wheel and, and chose some topics. And I'm a sucker for that shit. So maybe that, that can be a future podcast. I mean, if Adam Ball keeps getting it, or if Adam keeps getting us to bring the Paul brothers in, I think 90s Nicole Eggert is on the table. Uh, no, I don't know. Is there any vision there, Jack? Um, <laughs> what? No, this is unfair. Dude, this is uh, I obviously cribbing a lot from, like, war games. Uh Except that... Which came out when? Uh, that was, like, must have been five years or so earlier. But yeah, like like I say, it came out like a year after all the young James Bond spoofs. Many years after War Games, like, or did they go into cryostasis for a while or something? <laughs> like, it's it's bewildering that they thought this film was in any way timely or entertaining. Yeah, I, and the use of chess as opposed to tic tac toe is kind of a fundamental problem because this does not work as a climax because. I, I let's just say it doesn't suffice as a chess tutorial. There, there are like literally two chess. It's like uh, pawn to queen. It's like check. Yeah, can, can you win, can you win a game of chess two in moves? two moves? I I don't I don't believe that's the case. No, absolutely not. Uh yeah. The I mean the end not the ending doesn't work. The whole movie doesn't work. This is just a weird 
what's it that seems to have gotten made you know through good intentions towards supporting the mafia's <laughs> criminal deeds that's all there is to it it's like hey let's make let's bang out this shitty you know childhood like action movie we'll you know have a washed up 80s star and some other names that we can corral into this and uh yeah we'll call it the double o kid kids like bond what more could you want Someone, but, someone uh, should edit this movie so that when it ends, it just cuts immediately into the Layla sequence from Goodfellas. Because <laughs> it just feels like there's that like connection of mafia near do welldom. I think that would be a really stirring like, like you could put it in in an art museum as like a, an installation and just loop it forever. I was thinking somebody yeah. should edit this movie where they just delete it completely from Tubi, <laughs> That's, and then we yeah. don't have to watch it anymore. Uh, edit it from existence. I'm with you there, Steve. That is absolutely right. Just fucking destroy it. Yeah. Why uh, not, man? Well, I mean, I think that about does it for the Double O Kid. Uh, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show and suggesting this Wait, film to us. Yeah. What's the kill count? Do we have any numbers? We brain cells. I lost watching this one, but I will say this: does it, no does time it, to uh, die. Does, does the kill count increase if I fucking throw myself <laughs> off the Milwaukee Hone Bridge and fucking? <laughs> I think the question to ask is not how many people die in this film, but how many deaths is this film responsible for? That's, <laughs> That's what we right. need to investigate. Right, but but I will say, as I say, I think uh, we've set ourselves up, Jake, that if our next episode is finally No Time to Die, it's going to look pretty fucking sweet after this, right? Oh my god, I've, I, I, I can't tell you how excited I am for an actual movie <laughs> to play in front of me. Uh, this is... Uh, I mean, Jack, you mentioned at the start that you don't think this is worse than OK Connery, um, which I'm going to have to disagree. I think I, I think at least that is kind of a movie and it features a few competent ideas as well as actors from the Bond universe. It does. Uh, it's a slog, this is just though. this is just lame trash. This it's, is shorter. It's not fun. But I mean, I, I would agree. I like fair enough. I'm just saying I don't think anyone in yeah. the right mind unless you haven't have a podcast of your own should ever watch either of those films just don't do it or casino yeah. royale 67 just don't you don't have to there's no reason to yeah so i mean i guess that's a pretty good track record three bad films and 28 good ones for however many we we did uh yeah it's, it's <laughs> yeah. pretty good now certainly the bond series uh doesn't have a double o kid in it that's for damn sure it's also weird that, like, if, just looking back at the time this and all the other James Bond juniors were released, is that Bond was coming off of Timothy Dalton. So I guess you could say that Bond went so hard, the world could only handle baby James Bond movies for the next six years before That's Pierce right. Brosnan came around to That's write true. the ship. I was, I was yeah. just thinking as well that the Double O Kid, the closest the Bond series ever came to that, was when Roger Moore turned 100. Yeah. Listen, I, I just I, I want everybody to know out there, if you're listening right now, Corey Haim walked so Frankie Muniz could run. Okay. There's there's that's no agent Cody Banks without this. Without it's that's if there's one salient point we can take away, it's that. There's <laughs> no agent Cody Banks. I'm so or, glad that uh, no time to die is coming, so we don't have to keep just winging this because there's some dark yeah, yeah. territory up ahead. This sucks. Uh, I I would rather just like fuck the business end of like a magic bullet blender than watch this again so thank you well well thank you for introducing it to us steve you know we appreciate you again coming aboard adam i know you're not uh, keen about social media but if you do want to write to him you can reach out to optimism vaccine at gmail.com uh hit us up there uh steve any social media you want to plug yeah i'm uh i'm at steve cuff if you like uh dick jokes and bad opinions i'm your guy that's very good. Thank you very much, Steve. Jack, where can the good people find you? I, I can be found at Twitter at RealJackEason, R-E-A-L-J-C-K-E-A-S-O-N. I'm on there too much. Just shoot me a line. People keep asking me if I can find movies online now, and I don't know why. They just keep DMing me like, hey, is this movie? Can you find this? And it's like, I, I'm not going to get paid for it, but I still look. and I don't know why. I'm a sucker. So yeah, yeah. hit me up. Whatever. Jack's that's, a, that's a good service. That's right, yeah. I mean, he's had the wildly successful Choi Hawk and Johnny Toe threads. I mean... Next up, the who, Steve Paul thread. Yeah. Why you not get a Paul thread going? I'm sure because the world's clamming I, for that shit. I'm trying to leave the world better than I found it. That's true. 
That's true. All right. Well, anyways, you can find me at Jake Tropila. I'm on on all things. That's a J A K E T R O P I L A. Uh, we did it, you guys. This, uh, this podcast series we started three or four years ago, maybe, has uh, finally reached uh, its destination. So I can now finally say the no time. Uh, that's not it. Nope. For your ears only, we'll return with no time to die.